My name is Trey. I'm a church member here uh, for just a, a few months here at Redeemer. My wife, Haley, and I uh, moved with our two girls from Louisville, Kentucky about a year and a half ago. Uh, and we have uh, been attending Redeemer for about half a year and then became members in the fall, late fall. Um, if you haven't officially met us yet, you've probably heard some of us in the back row. Uh, Emma Jo and Ruby, our two little girls, um, are, uh, are here with us this morning, and they're a, a delight and a joy. Uh, we're a part of the care group that meets at the Corbin's house, so I see some of, uh, some of you here this morning. It's good to, good to see you. Um, I'm very honored to bring God's Word. I, wanted, I want to encourage us to continue to pray for the pastors and uh, Gary Brumley and others who are positive with the coronavirus right now. Um, we pray for their healing and a quick recovery. Uh, and uh, just one quick note. Um, if you look at your worship guide, it has me listed as a pastor. Not a pastor here. So this, this is not a coup of any kind. Um, and uh, if it were, nobody's here to stop me, but that's not what it is. Um, so if you would open uh, your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, we're going to be in chapter 5, verse 16. If you're using the Bible in the pew, then you can find that on page uh, 975. So we'll pick up. Paul's argument in this letter in verse 16. If you wouldn't mind uh, standing with me to honor the reading of God's Word. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking one another, envying one another. Thanks be to God for His Word. You may be seated. If you've read this passage before or, or spent any time thinking about it, you might have asked yourself, what is Paul talking about when he is referring to the flesh 
and the Spirit. Now, some of us might have had an image, as we read this passage maybe growing up or even recently, of the cartoon character that has the mini angel and mini demon on either sides of its shoulder, and it's listening to those many versions of itself to decide some kind of moral quandary. Should it listen to its inner demon, its little, its flesh, to do what it wants, or should it listen to the angelic spirit on its other shoulder to do what it wants? And uh, what we see in that kind of image, and I think is what our culture and surroundings would teach us, is that we have uh, two versions of ourselves. Right? We have a good version of ourselves, and we have maybe a bad version of ourselves. And every day is a battle to decide which part of ourself to listen to. But that's not what Paul says the flesh and the spirit is here in Galatians chapter 5. Although many of us today, both Christians and non Christians, engage in our days and live in our days as conflicted sometimes in what we want to do, Uh, should we make a choice that gratifies our flesh, or should we walk in the Spirit? Paul, in Galatians, is writing not to an individual who's divided between themselves, but writing to a, a group of Christians, and who have been persuaded to believe what Paul calls another gospel. They've been convinced by who Paul identifies as agitators who have come in and have promoted a gospel that seems to advocate the necessity of Torah obedience, or obeying parts of God's law in order to progress in the Christian life and in the Christian faith. And Paul sees this as having drastic negative effects within the community of these Galatian churches he writes to. He's concerned that these churches will eventually bite and devour one another if they continue on this course instead of serving one another in love and fulfilling what the law actually requires to love their neighbor. It's ironic in their intentions to obey certain aspects of the law, they will actually do the opposite of what the law commands. And throughout history, pastors and theologians have struggled to communicate Um, and have communicated in different ways what's happening here in this passage and what flesh and the Spirit mean. Most interpreters uh, have followed Augustine's interpretation in the 5th century, where he understood flesh to be the sinful desires of our body and the Spirit to be the desires of a human being regenerated by God's grace and born again. And while that interpretation is right in a sense that we see Paul talking about spirit-empowered people, individuals born again by God's spirit in God's Son. What we see here in this context is that Paul is talking about something bigger than just a a conflict within ourselves, whether we follow the flesh or whether we follow the spirit. Paul in Galatians is presenting a grand cosmic drama between the present evil age that the Galatians were once a part of and have been redeemed out of it by Jesus' self-sacrificial death and the new creation to come that is already now in some respects 
among the Galatians because they have the Spirit of God's Son within them, crying, Abba, Father. And they have the resources that God supplies in order to live rightly and to please Him. And so, um, in Galatians, we see that the flesh is associated with this present evil age, the law, which brings a curse, works, which bring slavery, and are merely human. Flesh is associated with the law and works, which bring slavery and are merely human things. But the Spirit is associated with faith, which brings freedom and life from God, and, the, and God's promised blessing, which He promised all those years ago to Abraham, has been fulfilled now in Jesus by the Spirit. And the means by which all these things happen is Jesus' death on the cross, His self-gift for us, which breaks the powers of the present evil age. Just a few passages to help us see this. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Galatians 3.13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Galatians 4, 4-6 through But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And finally, in Galatians 6, 14-15, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. As we see from these passages, the Spirit we receive is Christ's own Spirit, which empowers us to live characteristically as those who belong to Jesus. As we read in Galatians 5, Paul says those who are of Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and desire. The flesh for Paul, although real, is a defeated power. The flesh, although real for Paul, is a defeated power in his life and he expects it to be a defeated power in the life of the Galatians. Paul's specific point in the passage that we read in Galatians 5 is to outline what living according to the Spirit and walking according to the Spirit looks like in gospel community. What does it look like for us to live and walk by the Spirit 
together in community. Oftentimes when we look and uh, examine a passage like this, we focus on the individual attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's right and good to delve deep into those biblical characteristics and see what they mean. But what I want to invite us into this morning is to look at why Paul says in this passage, both at the beginning and the end of what we read, that we are to walk in the Spirit. Why does he command the Galatians to do so? What are his reasons? And we see that all of these commands and exhortations that he's giving to the Galatians are in the plural. These are communal commands. They refer, they refer to us individually, but also to us corporately as a community. So the main point, Paul's main point this morning to the Galatians and to us, is that if we walk by the Spirit, we will bear spiritual fruit. If we walk by the Spirit, if we live according to what God has given to us in the Spirit, we will bear spiritual fruit. Maybe like me this morning, you're searching and looking for a few New Year's resolutions. And maybe you said, I'm going to start working out or I'm going to start walking. Well, here's a walk that we can all do with uh, limited physical effort. This is, all achieve- this is achievable for all of us to engage and apply this new walk. So what kinds of reasons does Paul give in these short ten verses that we should walk by the Spirit? He says we should walk by the Spirit first because it opposes the flesh. We see this in verses 16 and 17 and at the end in verse 24. We should walk by the Spirit, Paul tells us, because we are not under the law. We should walk by the Spirit Because the flesh has no part of God's kingdom. The flesh has no part of God's kingdom. And finally, we should walk by the Spirit because it brings unity. So because it opposes the flesh, because we're not under the law, because the flesh has no part in God's kingdom, and finally, because it brings unity to the body. And these things are all are all truly unique for Paul because they are made possible by Christ and His Spirit. In the ancient world, lists of virtues and vices, things that you should do and don't do, are really common. All the prominent philosophers of antiquity that we know of, like Plato and Aristotle, developed such lists. Even other Jews in Paul's time developed lists of virtues that people should follow if they are to please God or to live rightly in their world. Uh, Here's an example of a list from a Jew written around Paul's time. This is from a, a Dead Sea Scroll where he describes the people that should be in the community. He says, Their paths in the world are to enlighten the heart of man, to straighten out in front of him all the paths of true justice, establish in his heart respect for the precepts of God. So what are these precepts of God? What should it look like? He tells us. It is a spirit of meekness, of patience, of generous compassion, eternal goodness, intelligence, understanding, 
potent wisdom which trusts in all the deeds of God and depends on his abundant mercy. So this morning, we could, we could turn to lots of ancient lists. We could turn to lots of modern lists. We could turn to lots of self-help websites and books on ways that we can improve ourselves as we start our new year to be more productive, to get more things done, to um, develop and grow both professionally, personally, spiritually. There are lots of lists we could turn to of things that we could do. But if we don't understand why Paul is commanding the Galatians, and by extension us, to walk in these things, we will miss out on how they are possible. They are not carried out by our own mere human power, but by God's help and enablement. And Paul's point is that these are uniquely fulfilled in Jesus. It is only by our faith and trust in a crucified and resurrected Messiah that we can truly please God. Jesus and His Spirit, as Paul shows us in Galatians, are the only two ways that we live as God's children and call Him Father. So first, let's look at the first reason Paul gives us to walk by the Spirit, because it opposes the flesh. So we see this in verse 16 and 17. After warning the Galatians in verse 15, that if they continue on the path that they're on, that they will eventually devour and destroy one another, Paul gives them a command. Walk by the Spirit. The command implies the totality of one's life. It was the common verb used in the Old Testament as, God's, uh, as the proper response to all of God's laws and commands. And it's a preferred way that Paul likes to speak about ethical conduct in his letters. What does Paul use to talk about how his readers should act? He uses the verb walk. Paul's command to walk by the Spirit is followed by a statement in, uh, that negates in strongest possible terms in the ancient Greek. Uh, so we see here in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In the original language, it's like saying you will never, ever gratify the desires of the flesh if you walk by the Spirit. It's like trying to find find good barbecue outside of Texas. It cannot happen if you walk by the Spirit. So what does this mean for us? Does this mean that we never sin if we have the Spirit? I don't think that's what Paul is saying because just a few verses later in chapter 6, verse 1, he says to the Galatian communities that you who are spiritual should restore folks who have fallen. But what it does mean is that for us today, Christians, if we walk by God's Spirit, we will not do anything opposed to God. We will not fall into the flesh if we are seeking to walk by God's Spirit. This means what we see elsewhere in Scriptures, that when we are tempted and fall into sin, it is because of our own hearts and own desire and not a result of God's enablement and power in His Spirit. We see in verse 17 a verse that can be very confusing for Paul says here, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit 
And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And it's easy to read this in a way that seems to indicate that the flesh and the Spirit are equal powers, right? And that we as Christians can ping-pong between them. Some days we're in this flesh, some days we're in the Spirit, and uh, we don't know what's going to happen because they're constantly at war with each other. But if we looked at the end of this passage that we read, Paul says that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what does it mean? Paul's not saying that Christians who have the Spirit never have sinful desires. What he is saying is that by God's power and enablement, you and I, brothers and sisters, by God's Spirit, can conquer our flesh. And any time we fail to do so, it is our own fault. But God gives us all of the resources we need in Himself to walk in a way that pleases Him. This is not meant to discourage us, but to encourage us. If you're struggling with sin this morning, know that it is by God's power that you can fight that sin. Do not be discouraged. Do not be dismayed. Do not question, what am I going to do? How can I respond? Am I ever going to stop this pattern of sin in my life? You have God's Spirit within you to fight. You have God's Spirit within you who has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You have all the resources you need. You have all the resources you need. Do not be discouraged. This also means that we are free in Christ to do something better. You don't have to live that way anymore. You're not bound to it. Whatever your history, whatever your upbringing, whatever your family life was, whatever your circumstances now, whatever has happened to you last year, whatever is coming to you in 2022, you have God's Spirit within you. And that is why Paul, as he begins chapter 5, talks, talks to the Galatians about being called to freedom. You're free. You can live a new and better way. You're free. Now if we think about what the flesh is and these works of the flesh we might agree with Paul's kind of category here of these big, the big sins, right, in our lives and in our world today. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, uh, sorcery. We don't really have magic in you. Like, no one's out practicing magic. I mean, some of us are, or some people out there are, not some of us in here. But... People try to manipulate their circumstances all the time. That's all magic was in the ancient world, was trying to manipulate things to get what you want. So we have like big buckets of sins that we we agree with Paul. Yeah, that's a big deal. We shouldn't do that. That's wrong. But let's keep reading his list, shall we? Strife. Jealousy. Are you jealous of anyone this morning? In your heart? 
enmity, anger. You struggle with anger? I do. I get angry all the time. That's not the Spirit of God in me. That is my flesh. And those are the things, I mean, this is the the things that we assign little importance to. These are the things that Paul says we have been freed from. So why would we continue in them? Not only does Paul tell the Galatians and us that we are free from the flesh dominion in our lives, he also tells us that we are free from fear of condemnation under the law. And this is what he tells us. The second point, we walk by the Spirit. Why? Because we are no longer under the law. Look with me in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, under the law is sort of a shorthand phrase that Paul likes to use in Galatians to talk about the curse of the law. The right judgment of God upon us because of our inability and our refusal and our rebellion to do the things that he has asked in his word. Under the law is also what Paul calls the elementary principles of this age to which before Christ came, humanity was enslaved to. So this isn't just a Jew problem, right? This is a humanity problem. All of humanity is under the judgment of the law. So is the law bad? Absolutely not. We see in Galatians that Paul tells us that God had a specific purpose for the law. It was meant to restrain sin. It was meant to guide his people until finally Christ came. It was a tutor that functioned to expose sin and prepare for those who would believe in Christ by faith. Jesus took the curse of the law upon himself. We read that passage this morning in Galatians 3. He took the curse of the law upon himself so that we do not need to fear the curse anymore, but can expect God's blessing. Maybe you ask yourself often, how do I know if God loves me? How do I know if God really cares for me? How do I know if God is really pleased with me? I'm frustrated all the time. I yelled at my kids in the car on the way here. My family can't get it together. I'm so frustrated after the holidays because of everything that happened and what we experienced and we don't agree on anything and I'm just exhausted. I'm tired. How do I know that God loves me? How do I know that God is pleased with me? It's because he sent his son to redeem you from his curse and he has made you one of his children. Some of us stay away from God because we're afraid. We're afraid to repent of the things that we've done. We're afraid to be restored. We're afraid to confront God because we know we've wronged Him. And that's true. God is holy and good and just, but what Paul is telling the Galatians is that you're not under that anymore. You're led by God's own Spirit. You have communion with Him in a way that you can't by any other way. 
So come to Him. Know that you are loved and accepted by Him this morning. We sang a song, Precious Daughters, Treasured Sons. When you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning or at night, what do you see? You should see what God sees. A precious daughter, a treasured son. If you believe in Jesus and received His Spirit, then you have nothing to fear from God. You have nothing to fear. Rather, we can expect from God to have communion with Him and with one another, to bear one another's burdens, to fulfill the law of Christ, like Paul says later in Galatians 6, to build up and encourage one another. All of this is because God has come to us in Christ and has given us His Spirit. You are not alone. You are loved. And we enjoy that love together in community. So the third reason Paul gives us to walk by the Spirit is because the flesh has no part in God's coming kingdom. So not only does God welcome us in the Son and in the Spirit, He also gives us warnings. If you practice these things, if you are enslaved to your works, if you are bound to them, if you do not place your faith in Christ and receive His Spirit and repent, you will have no part in God's coming kingdom. Now Paul doesn't talk a lot about the kingdom of God in his letters. That's something that Jesus brings out more fully in the Gospels. But for Paul, we see that although the kingdom is future, it is coming, it has present realities. What are those present realities? It's exemplified by Christians who bear spiritual fruit, who have joy, who practice righteousness and justice, who love one another, who are kind and patient one another, to one another. If you're looking for the kingdom of God in this world, you need to search out and find people who practice these things. That is where God's reign and rule is exemplified in those who practice those things. The kingdom of God is not a part of, it's not involved with regulations and rules. It doesn't have anything to do with human abilities or speech. We often, and we live in an evangelical subculture that is plagued by celebrity. We love and honor those who for good reasons, right, have become well-known for their skill and ability. But speaking really well, preaching well, going to the right conferences, writing the popular books, that's not a list in the fruit of the Spirit. That's not evidence of God's kingdom. Evidence of God's kingdom is found in those who have joy, who practice kindness and patience, who exhibit goodness in their lives, who are righteous. We should be seeking after those people 
right? Find those people in your spheres of influence. Find those people in this church and get to know them. If you want to know what living in God's kingdom is really like. The things that Paul warns about that keep us out of the kingdom are all things that we do in and of ourselves that destroy our communion with God and with one another. They're all things that destroy our communion with God and our communion with one another. Sexual immorality within the church destroys gospel community. That's why Paul is uh, adamant throughout his letters that we should expose such sins, pursue discipline to bring restoration to our communities. Idolatry, worshiping things that aren't God in our lives, destroys gospel community. Enmity, hatred, strife, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. Those things destroy gospel community. Envy, drunkenness, orgies. Those are all things that destroy gospel community. The practice of these things will not only destroy the community of this church, but they will also keep you out of the kingdom of God. So be warned. But know that you have a place to belong in God's kingdom if you pursue the things that are truly good. You have a place to call home. Not only are we to walk by the Spirit because it opposes the flesh, because we're not under the law, and because we won't enter into the kingdom. We walk by the Spirit because it brings unity. Even comparing the two lists, you see that the works of the flesh are disordered. There's 13 of them. They're in multiple categories, different numbers for each category. But the fruits of the Spirit, there's three groups of three. There is order even in unity in the listing that Paul gives us. Paul assumes, if we look here in verse 25, that if we live by the Spirit, we will conform to the life that the Spirit produces. We keep in step. That's another way of um, translating if we live by the Spirit there in verse 25. With, if we keep in step with the characteristics of the Spirit and of Christ, we will share in Christ and the Spirit and bring unity to our body. Look at the things that he says in verse 26 that happen when we walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Conceited attitudes, arrogance, pride, thinking of ourselves more highly than we should, is not walking by the Spirit. Provoking one another, picking at one another, being quick to point out each other's flaws, being quick to be annoyed or agitated with one another, is not walking 
by the Spirit. Envying one another is not walking by the Spirit. The, the beauty of this passage is we've all been gifted in different ways, but we all have the same gift in the Spirit. There's no reason for any of us to envy each other. We all are God's children and have God's Spirit. We have different callings. We have different ways that God has equipped us. But really, what's the difference? Why should we envy each other? Why should we think, they have that, I want that? They have that position. They serve in that ministry. They are close in these relationships. I want that. Now, some of those things are right and good, but there's no reason to envy one another because we all have God's Spirit. And if we walk by the Spirit, what we will see, Redeemer Church, is that God will bring unity to our body in ways we may never expect or believe. Relationships being restored, relationships deepened, conflicts lessened, Walk by the Spirit, and let's be unified. One visible example of our unity in Christ is the table, which we will celebrate in a few moments. I want to encourage you this morning, as you come to the table, we, remember we all come the same way. We all receive the same thing. And if we walk by the Spirit, we will walk in a way that honors Christ and His Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we have all we need in Christ. Help us, Father, to walk in a way that pleases You that exemplifies the things that we have read this morning so that we may know you fully and may bear spiritual fruit. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.